Yo, welcome to Stars Podcast, the home of Growth Mindset Moment, where we break down the habits, hacks, and protocols the stars use while relentlessly moving forward to maximize our daily potential. If this is your first time, welcome to the fam. If you're a longtime listener, thank you for stopping back. Our guests range from entrepreneurs, C-suite pros, Web3, NFT, and crypto enthusiasts, jujitsu athletes, fitness instructors, mindset coaches, lawyers, and everything in between. They may seem different on the surface. However, when we start to break down the systems they all live by, we quickly realize we're all not so different after all. I'm your host, Ron Jordan, along with my co-host, Alyssa Jordan, coming out of Rosinante Studios in Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania. Let's get into the journey. In today's episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Loxley Fernandez, a serial entrepreneur and now co-CEO of Rug Radio, a decentralized creator ecosystem. And he's also the host of Kaios Theory, a Thursday night Twitter spaces show. Loxley's journey towards success began when he put himself through college by working in e-commerce. With hard work and determination, he grew that business to employ over 100 people, demonstrating his natural entrepreneurial spirit. Today, as we've as a family investing house, Loxley shares his wealth of knowledge and experience by advising businesses on how to grow and expand to achieve freedom with a growth mindset. In this episode, Loxley will share with us how he cultivated a growth mindset to overcome challenges, learn from his failures, and embrace new opportunities. We'll learn about the importance of taking risks and how to turn setbacks into opportunities for growth. Join us as we gain insights and inspiration from Loxley's journey towards success. Welcome to the show, my friend. <laughs> yeah, glad to be here. Happy, happy to join you guys, and really excited yeah. to to talk about some of these topics. I mean, that that set it up like really well. It's like, oh man, I'm excited. To, I'm, I'm less excited to talk about it, I'm more excited to hear about it. Yeah, no doubt about it. Just be careful you don't uh, get your head too big to walk out of that room, you know. Um, but no, I mean, in all seriousness, you do bring a wealth of knowledge to the table um, in any conversation that you're probably having inside of the Web three, even Web two space, in in general. So. I'm super happy to have you on and be able to share those insights with our listeners and talk about some of the things that um, that are emerging in the markets and and what you've been building off of. We'll, we'll say that. So to start it off, where does the what happened in college and how did you start that that um, e-commerce site? I, I'm very curious about that piece of it because that's what really sets you up for all of it. It did. It did. Um, I'll, I'll give you just like a really short origin story. I come from um, a, a family of entrepreneurial immigrants. Um, my my parents came to uh, the U.S. Um, in the late 70s. And, um, you know, my, my dad didn't have any education. I worked in construction, industrial construction, founded his own firm and then um, and, you know, successfully and progressively grew as you know exited some some businesses and founded other businesses had some great successes and some great failures i'm sure um luckily from my vantage point as a child who was probably shielded from a lot of the failures i was able to see and learn from the success and the ambition and then um you know be uh guided by the cautionary tales um and and my parents were you know they were very um very conservative and, and largely risk averse in a lot of ways, uh, which is very interesting because I'm, I'm, I'm quite the opposite. Uh, but my, you know, one of the things that my dad always told me is that this concept of job security is not real. If you, if you want a paycheck, you have to make that paycheck. You can't rely on someone else to give it to you. And so, you know, growing up, um, 
getting into into school i um i i went to uh I, I started you know my university education at 17. my parents offered to pay for my first year of school and then from there it was on me and um so you know i got my freshman year in and then had to figure out how to put myself through school and i was um you know i was uh, i ended up in a job at a at a watch boutique selling swiss watches and through a series of uh of you know some uh disagreements on commissions and other things that i should have gotten i decided that i wanted to break out and do my own thing i had had from the age of like 14 onward um a, a, a bunch of tiny little businesses and i had been playing in third party marketplace um ebay amazon that type of stuff um since my teenage years and i actually it's funny um opened my first ebay store uh, at eight years old in 1997. um and so like it literally goes back all the way down and my you know my goodness. mom enabled me yeah she empowered and enabled me to do that which is amazing so your mom um, your mom empowered you to do that piece yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so right. like this is i mean it's crazy but we lived near a walmart distribution center and they would have these um they would have these liquidation sales and my uh, my uncle my mom's brother worked for walmart distribution he was an it over there and so he'd always say hey like come you know come hang out and we would just go hang out over there and just kind of like look at all the different stuff um and it was like pallets of different things like pallets of like cosmetics or anything that was like shelf pulls returns all of that stuff and so you'd buy a pallet of merchandise that might have been you know five thousand dollars ten thousand dollars worth of stuff and you could win an auction on it for like 50 bucks and so um we like we went in and, and we'd buy the first the first pallet that i bought at eight years old i kid you not was 25 dollars of uh like three thousand packs of palm pilot styluses Okay. And I, that that that's crazy, right? Like looking back at that now. Well, these Pop packs pilots of, were a thing. Like they were a real were a thing. thing. Yeah. So these these pack of two these two pack of stylus had like a retail price of like $9.99 and um I sold them on eBay for like $3 and something and and people would mail us checks. And then we'd like, you know, <laughs> we would package them up and we'd ship them. And I made no money, but I learned a ton about supply i mean early about supply chain management about sourcing about you know fulfillment and distribution on a very rudimentary level but that would lead me you know down into those years um ended up uh getting into e-com and online purchase or online selling um through the third-party marketplace track and um after doing uh tens of millions in in annual revenue on amazon buy.com overstock ebay uh my my partner um who was a mentor um you know and, and partner I'll, I'll be eternally grateful for him he was a he was an older gentleman's he was in his early 60s had been retired for eight years had been a c-suite executive three different fortune 500 companies was just looking for something to do and so he bought um early on uh bought 30 percent of my company and um he sat and looked at me one day and said you realize we don't we don't own anything we didn't have any ip we didn't have anything we had we had uh maybe 15 percent of our revenue was on our own website everything else was third-party marketplace and so we ended up building um uh ideating and creating a microfinancing payment processing platform for e-commerce purchases and this was from you know 2011 to uh to finally exiting um on the back side of 2014. But yeah, it really it really shifted my perspective and gave me the ability to look at life from a little bit of a different lens and also gave me some freedoms to uh to pursue things as a as a as a young husband, um, you know, and and a budding entrepreneur who was definitely not as smart as I thought I was. Uh it gave me it gave me a lot of resources to experiment, to fail, to, you know, to to learn and and grow. I love your story. And I want to go back to something you said about 
if you want a paycheck, you know, job security, you need to create that paycheck. So I am not particularly entrepreneurial, um, not in the traditional sense. That's I'm I'm a lawyer like, uh, you know, that's not where my head is at. You want to talk about risk averse. That's me. 150 percent of the time. Ron, from a partner dynamic perspective, is the entrepreneurial spirit. He's out just doing stuff. And I'm just like, but get put disclaimers, get contracts signed. I, it's called balance, right? And that's really like the what like was calling to me when we were meeting. We're going to have this have this uh, recording with you today is about balance. So we're talking about needing a paycheck, but you have to surround yourself as an entrepreneur with people that you have to pay to help you. So when you're going through that, and those people rely on you, right? So you're building teams, you're relying on people who are looking to you, not just um, to, to grow your business, you're relying on them, you're trusting them. So when you're talking about that, being an entrepreneur, what are some of the roles that those people that you have beside you that you believe support you in developing your idea, um, executing on your strategy? Who are those people you have to pay a paycheck to that, that get job security to a certain extent by being on you, a team with you as you're building? Um, I, I just think that this is like really fun for entrepreneurs, not only to hear, but those that are sit right hand to entrepreneurs to hear too. You know, this is one of those, um, it really is a catch 22 in a lot of ways. What, what happens, especially as a young entrepreneur in lean startup is you usually can't afford the talent that you want to be able to afford. Right. And so you hire out of convenience, um, instead of hiring out of intention the way that you should, because you're literally, you're, you're trying to get people on a budget. Um, what you find is you find, um, most of the time, and, and I don't know if this will answer the question, but we'll get there eventually. I'm sure you find that you're hiring people um, and your turnover ends up being uh, sometimes a little higher than you want it to be. And if it's not a uh, high turnover, um, you might be on the trajectory for failure. And the reason why is you hire friends and, and especially if you're starting in your, in your twenties, you're hiring, you know, college roommates. Um, <laughs> you know, you're hiring a lot of times you're hiring friends who have no better opportunity than to come and just like ride along with what you're doing. The good news is you get a lot of loyalty, you get an entourage, but you don't always get the talent that you need. And that was a hard learning lesson for me. The 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 harder lesson that I learned in my my early days was that the people that I thought were friends were um, oftentimes just uh, just acquaintances waiting for the next paycheck. Mm. And it can be a very, very isolating and emotionally uh, traumatizing, you know, realization in, in life. Um, then what you learn is if you get to the point where whether it's whether it's failure, mentorship or, or psilocybin, um, you know, in psychedelic therapy or something that helps you get there, you learn to relinquish a little bit of control. You learn to get your ego in check. And you also learn that just as it is with um you know, with, with inventory, you know, higher, higher quality, uh, inputs results in higher quality outcomes. Um, you learn the same thing with human resources and that, you know what it, you, you have to make a, a sacrifice sometimes and realize that I might not be able to pay myself for the next six or 12 months to be able to afford the staff and the talent that I need. But when you do find those people who are both talented, ideologically aligned, loyal, and smarter than you are, you pay for them. 
and you and, and you know and and then they end up through life it's the the best part is this is that those are the ones who end up um responsible for your set for your success in a lot of ways right you would have never made it without them but then become lifelong friends and um you know and you have situations where like with my when with my uh mentor gnarly partner jim who's now in his late 60s um you know i only talk to him a few times a a, a year now um but every year at least at the very least on my birthday he gives me a call and on his birthday um you know i give him a call and and then every once in a while we'll be skiing in the same town you know and you know at the same resort or something at the same time and we link up and chat um but it is truly um that's the most rewarding the most rewarding outcome of business is those relationships that that do become lifelong relationships i i really enjoy that perspective a great deal uh, for a variety of reasons, just where uh, I'm situated, where I'm at right now, uh, build helping to build a technology company. And a lot of those things you're talking about, about who to hire and what to sacrifice in order to get there resonates a great deal. I think sometimes people who are building forget that, that, you know, it gets turned into this weird um, expectation uh, that I think I, you have to forgive me. We're going through a raise right now. So like talking to a lot of VCs, we we've actually been asked, like, give me your pain. Like it's expected, you know, and, and to an extent, obviously it it's there even sometimes when it shouldn't have to be necessarily in certain ways. But I think it's just so important for people to understand the, the very relevant and clear sacrifice from an entrepreneurial perspective that, that when, when you have a successful, um, exit that it doesn't come without the entrepreneur in charge making a lot of sacrifices along the way. Uh, so, and that includes relationships. So, yeah. you know, again, it's that balance. It's, it's, it's a really important balance, which gets into Ron. One of the things that Ron brought up that he wanted to talk about deals with balance too and relationships. So I'm going to like, I'm going to kick it over to him and, and let him ask his question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with because with all of the all of the relationships that you're building in your business, so those are all um, very important, obviously, because it's helping to build and establish your vision and carry that forward. Um, but as you were just t discussing, you know, you were a, a young husband and being able to have that understanding and backbone in your corner, um, because I've I've known a lot of entrepreneurs who have not given as much effort to those relationships back home and it has transitioned uh, negatively into their business. So whenever you can keep your your personal side uh, just as healthy as your business side seems to be a good recipe. I'm curious how you're able to now now with uh, multiple kids and a wife um, being able to what conversations are you having with them to gain their understanding as well because you're you are probably very busy in the day-to-day -day. yeah you know it's um it's it's a challenging dynamic most entrepreneurs end up finding themselves um sacrificing everything including relationships what i found for myself was um that with my wife so my wife and i we met we met uh very young in college um we're married um while still in college and uh and and i can tell you without a fact like um i can attribute 100 percent of my success to the support that she gave me and the confidence more than anything the confidence to be able to pursue 
my vision and, and my dream. And then I always joke um, with, uh, with with G-Man, who's a part of our team over at Rug Radio and an old friend of mine. Uh, but I always joke about my wife, Cam, having been uh, my sugar mama. Um, but she was a teacher making like $38,000 a year. And he's like, he's like, he's like, amigo, that's not a sugar mama. And I said, yeah, well, at, the, at the time when we were living off mustard sandwiches, like we'd take anything. That's a sugar we could mama. Get. That was a sugar mama. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's tough right now. You know, our life has changed a little bit. Um, well, and you know, our life has changed recently because I, you know, I started working, um, with rug radio, uh, in, in, you know, summer of 2022, um, as a strategic advisor and then, uh, took a position, um, to, uh, to be on the executive team, you know, January 1st of this year is when it officially started. Um, the, the commitment to, to do this and actually, uh, be part of a bigger team other than um you know what we had been doing with our small you know venture firm is uh, it, it was just i mean it's a completely different dynamic i actually have a job and responsibility and, and really like my last the last five six years of my life um were very much um retirement-esque where we just we worked if we had to and when we needed to and putting out fires um but it like i was able to you know surf four times a week if you know, that's what I wanted to do. And now that doesn't like, that's not my reality anymore. So we're back into this, into this position of, um, of managing expectations. And, and I like, this is one of the things that I preach all the time in terms of like business marketing, um, but also relationships, managing expectations. Um, and one, I want to give my wife and my kids everything I possibly can, you know, um, especially my time, but it's also, you know, the, it's about communicating, early and clearly and often about what the expectations of my job are the responsibilities that i have the time commitments that i have to it and knowing that i can allocate not a lot of time but very specific times to um to them and knowing that you know um, my wife having had communicated it um she she knows to expect it she knows how to manage it and it's not one of those situations where it's like, oh, like, I, you know, I wish I w- you would have told me that, you know, you're like that you're going to you, you're going to be on calls till, you know, 10 p.m. or that, you know, um, that, you know, Froke's going to FaceTime you when we were supposed to be having uh, uh, lunch and, you know, because we have a problem to solve or, um, you know, she knows exactly what to expect. And, and also because of that, you know, um, we're able to very deliberately plan our time together and the team at rug radio and with some of our other uh you know uh, partners they also know um what to expect in terms of you know when i'm going to be dedicating time to my family and so you know we've managed expectations on both sides i don't know a better way to put it than that that's the best way to put it and i think that that's what i think that a lot of folks don't really they don't um either they don't understand what the commitment is going to be whenever they accept or they they um they hide it because they're afraid of the their significant other telling them that they won't want them to do it um so they sort of manage the expectation the way that they think they want to hear it versus what it's really going to be and that honesty is what actually gives you the longevity to continue to exercise those deliberate planning processes and managing those expectations because I I know this for a absolute fact. Wives don't like surprises, right? They they don't love surprises in whenever it's going to take significant time away from what you guys have currently planned. 
um, and managing those expectations on the front end is really, I think, has has assisted me big time in being able to do what I do. And and it sounds like very similarly yeah. to you, Loxley. It comes, you know, it, for me, it comes down to, in a lot of ways, it comes down to respect. Um, yes. I respect my, my wife and her, her time her energy and also her autonomy. And she has things that, you know, that she needs to do. She has responsibilities, um, things that she wants to do. And I got to be able to give her the the latitude to be able to do, to, to, to live her life and, and, you know, maximize her potential and her fulfillment as well. And, um, and, and I just, I, I don't know that I'd be able to sleep at night if I was uh, one of these people that, you know, consistently said one thing and did another with it, you know, or, or, or broke promises and commitments um because like she's just as human as i am and she has you know like she has that right to happiness just in fulfillment just as much as, as i do and um and so you really have to balance that and just you know you respect your partner's time um and and you know i know we didn't talk about children a lot but like you know making sure that the the support systems are there so that they don't feel the neglect and then when you are spending because really as to be a to be an entrepreneur or a founder or a CEO in, a, in an early stage startup, um, you are going to neglect people. It's impossible not to. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, in that time that you have with them, can you make up for those periods? This sounds so so terrible, but can you make up for those periods of neglect? And can you give them all of your attention? Can you give them all of your energy? And can you make it valuable enough time so they don't feel the impact of the constrained amount of time that you guys actually have together? Yeah, I find that in this particularly stressful time of being a part of a seed round at a tech company um, and being the lawyer that's in-house and preparing for all of that, that I re that resonates with me in a great deal because for the past probably 10 plus days, I've had to give it. One thing that I think helps a great deal too is, you know, with with this and starting something, founding something, raising all of this stuff that comes along with starting a business and growing a business that when I share the process with my family too, they, they really tend to be a part of the journey too. And they can understand the timelines instead of hiding it and being like, Oh, we're just doing startup stuff over here. You know, it's not some high level thing that I can't share with our 14 year old or my 22 year old, you know, Hey, listen, I'm unavailable. Like if you call me, if it's an emergency, Call me, then text me so I know because my head is like into something right now that has to be finished and I'm focused. And I find that that transparency also really helps the family dynamic um, in such a great way. Do you think that setting those boundaries, not just um, positive boundaries, right? Setting the boundaries regardless with your family and with, you know, Rug Radio as an institution, the business side of things, do you think that's something like that's pretty unique to Web3? Is that something that Web3 has brought that's a little bit different than maybe some different experiences? Or do you think that that's something that you brought over? Because I, I just hear a, one thing I love about the Web3 aspect of things and, you know, we talk a lot about Web3 on this podcast. We talk, we're in, we're in the space. Um, I really feel like Web3, the sense of community and the sense of importance of self and um, not just Web3 community, but the community in your own household and in and, and our IRL communities seems to be just have a little bit, resonate a little bit more from a business perspective. I'm just curious from your 
your background and experience, do you find that that mutual understanding is a little bit more acceptable or understood to be a standard uh, in the Web3 space versus in other types of of business constructs? Honestly, um, no. You, um, oh man, it's, it's hard to say. I'll put it this way. I, I think you're right about the idea of, um, of individuality, about respecting, um, you know, the, the human and respecting the mental health and all of that. I think we talk about it a lot on the timeline, but really behind the scenes, what you find is you find a lot of creators, um, founders getting really burnt out because I think that the demand for, you know, from the consumer aspect, because consumers in Web3 have greater access to founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, you know, these these people leading these charges um, and, and they're demanded to be on more than ever, um, that it's actually oftentimes more challenging. So I think there's I think there's tiers. I think the closer you are to the to the top tier, you know, top level of management in a project, um, the less true autonomy and freedom and latitude you have. Um, then we, you know, then we give people down the line all the way to just the collector and the consumer, um, you know, so much praise for taking mental health breaks. It's like, oh yeah, take, you know, take a mental health break, which I advocate for. I think it's great. Take some time off, go touch grass. And, um, you know, we want, we want people to, you know, to, to be happy and mentally healthy unless you're the one that's in charge of our bags. Yeah. So there's a double standard almost. Yeah. Because if you're the one, if my bags rely on you, then, then you better not sleep and you better not take an extra 60 seconds to drink that coffee. Like you better be pumping. Yeah. No. And I'm so glad you're saying this because I think this is a conversation in web three that needs to be had there, that there is a double standard to a certain extent. I can't imagine, um, Farouk getting on, uh, his, his Twitter spaces and being like, you know what guys, like, I just don't feel it today. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't feel everyone expects him and others to always be on and be the, the, either the, who they are, the character they think they are, um, at all times. So, 100%. And you, and you want to know the thing about, uh, not to like shill my, my team and my friends and all that, but like Baroque truly is on 24 seven, because what you see on Twitter spaces, what you see on the timeline is just him. Like yeah. he's so... It, it, and people hated on him forever saying, you know, toxic positivity and and that he was inauthentic. He is truly the most authentic person in this space. Who Farouk is on the show is who Farouk is in real life. And because we are such good, like, real life friends, um, it's often, like, draining because he has way more energy than I do. <laughs> he has way more energy than I do. But, you know, there's other there's other um, creators and founders that have a hard time, like when they when they see him or they spend time with him or meet him and they, they're just like, how does he do? We actually we have conversations this whole past week in New York. We had everyone's like, how does he do it? And I'm like, couldn't be me. Like, you know, but but, <laughs> but the reality is, you know, looking at this business that we're building, Rug Radio, Farouk. Um, needed to be able to be Farouk and he needed some support systems to be able to handle some of the things that I had experience in that I had um, that give me energy because I very much like you Alyssa like I'm I'm a like I'm a con- like I'm a contracts person right like I, I know you like as, a, as an attorney like attention to detail and compliance and contracts whether you love it or not you're good at it and you have to be um, I love balance sheets like sounds really stupid oh I don't but- like balance sheets 
Yeah, you know, I love, I love, <laughs> that's I math, love those, but yeah, I love those detail-oriented aspects. Yeah. Um, and Farouk, for Farouk to be able to continue to be Farouk and to do Farouk well, he needed someone on the back end, and, and um, you know, that's something that I was um, absolutely enthused to do, so that he could magnify his his output. Right. Um, it's very. It, I mean, it, it's interesting. There's. Um, yeah, there's there, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of you know leeway and slack given to these high profile founders. I luckily am not one of these high profile ones. I'm just a I'm just the wizard behind the curtain trying yeah. to make it happen. And well, you know that kind of goes back to what the big uh, the big draw for a lot of the Web three companies that are being established is this DAO platform. That's sort of revolutionizing the business model inside of Web3 through tokenomics. Um, and that's essentially what Rug Radio has also become is a is a DAO-driven ecosystem. And I'm curious, is is a DAO platform or even structure suitable for traditional business models? How do you bridge the gap? And I guess how do you bridge the gap would be my first question. And then secondly, why go DAO? So I'll give a little bit of background on this that most people don't see. DAOs are extremely, extremely challenging. Any, any, any business owner or entrepreneur or executive who has participated in, um, in, in an IPO, an initial public offering, knows that building in public with transparency and this fiduciary responsibility to stakeholders, I'm not gonna use the word shareholders because we're not talking about shares in, in our context, but to stakeholders, which you know could be the consumers, the market participants, the the DAO members, the team members, um, it's 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 a lot tougher than building private business. And so, like Alyssa, in this phase where you guys are in the seed round, um, you're you're seeing a little bit of this too, because previous to these capital raises, to these liquidity events, you have a lot more autonomy. The minute you enter into um, a financial contractual agreement with another partner, whether it's a general partner or a limited partner, you become you become um, beholden to them, their expectations, um, but then also the legal responsibility and liability of reporting, not only accurately but timely in a timely manner. Take a DAO, and a DAO is. The DAO is the next level of democratized access to the the the, the stakeholder um, you know mentality, right? Where just like an IPO, we have these stakeholders that we're now responsible to that we have to report to. But because we're talking about decentralized ecosystem ownership, every single person on this theoretical cap table that you know should be a, an, a potentially an LP. Um, now has like this philosophical right to act as a general partner, not a limited partner. And so for, you know, um, you know, for, for people who don't understand the, the difference there, um, you take people who in a traditional business sense would be passive investors and you're not making them active participants in your governance and the way that you run your business. It's for most people, largely impossible to navigate. And I don't recommend it for anybody. A lot of people look at it as like, Oh, a benefit to be able to source, to crowdsource help from the community or to shift a little bit of responsibility and liability off of themselves and say, oh, well, the community is in control of this. Um, it's actually the most taxing 
format for corporate governance that you can imagine. And unless you're truly prepared for it and what it in the implications, both the positive and negative implications, I would urge you not to do it. And if you are in a position where you where you think that you want to do it, consult people. There are people you can that you can consult. There's there's great people at companies like Tribute Dow and even you know Syndicate. Um, you know the the team at Consensus Mesh. They work with so many DAOs, and um, you know they're they're helping even us who we think that we're that we're really good at understanding DAOs and the way that they need to grow and operate. Um, but they've been so great at helping open our eyes to others' past experiences and seeing some of the some of the successes and failures in um, previous DAOs like Gitcoin with Kevin Iwaki and the way that they had structured and how we should build off of that or you know what we should take these different elements and these parallels that we can draw with other organizations how to build off of it. If you if you don't have a mentor or a guide or someone that can help you through it before making that decision, like I, I just I, I would implore you like. Like slow down, ask those questions, find someone who's willing to help you, and that will help you make the right decision. Yeah, I, I, I'm so grateful to hear this messaging um, from someone in the trenches of, of leading a DAO and, and the DAO structure because I think you know I just came off of Miami NFT Week. You guys just came back from NFT NYC, and if you go to most panels and stages where DAO is a topic of conversation, you'll hear anything can be a DAO. Let's be a DAO. Do a DAO. It's like the sexy thing to be in Web3 and beyond and as a business construct. And you don't hear a lot of the cautionary tales other than make sure you're set up or incorporated properly as a DAO so that you avoid, you know, joint several liability that's mostly what you hear about is the liability side of it. That's really where it stops and ends. The rest of it is like sexy DAO, be a DAO, being a DAO is great. Everything's, everything's rainbows and unicorn parts right. until it's not. Right, right like, exactly. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it goes back to the whole thing of like everyone, you know, you have somebody who's like a, a really super fit and then they get sick and and they're like, we never saw it coming, you know. They were they took care of themselves. Well, it's because you don't get sick till you get sick. And it's that's the exact thing with this is you don't get sick till you get sick, folks. You know, so, yeah, be taking a balanced approach to what it means to be a Dow and getting that second, third and fourth opinion from people who are experienced and ingratiated into what it actually means from not just ideologically, but operationally. And that's that's a big growth point for Web3. And I think that that's what the bear market has really exposed more than anything over the last six to nine months is that it's great to have a construct, but you have to be an operator. You have to be able to execute regardless of the circumstances. And we found that a lot of these businesses, projects that were actually businesses, weren't set up properly to be sustainable long term because they didn't they didn't do their own research on what it really meant to operate as a business. So I think that your your points are just so well taken and so timely in a space where everyone wants to be a DAO, but they don't really necessarily understand the implication. Yeah, you know, the one the, the last thing I'll say specifically on DAOs is that we're, we're approaching it from the from the vantage of progressive decentralization. So you have a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. They all start at the same place. They all start with the O, with organization, right? And most of them end up dying as O's, not as DAOs, but they're just organizations, right? And then you like you can add that that D that decentralized aspect by having the the various stakeholders and DAO token holders, um, and you have a decentralized organization. Most rarely reach the autonomous stage. Where we're at is we are um, a decentralizing organization that's making that that's making the moves to educate, empower, and establish 
the DAO community to a point where they have matured within the not only like the the pragmatic um, but the but the philosophical use case of the DAO so that we're aligned we become ideologically aligned they're also growing to a size where they're diverse enough and big enough to self-manage right and then you can allow them to self-manage and to self-govern and then at that point the a comes in the autonomous and that's where we start to incorporate smart contracts and we start to talk about are you truly an on-chain autonomous organization rug radio um, in full transparency will not be there for uh you know a, a decent bit right like there's there, there's still a substantial amount of time um you know where in the coming year year and a half we might we might get there um but there's so much infrastructural um both like technical but um but again like human infrastructure needed in order to get to the point where we can safely do that and prevent um you know any amount of uh, of pilfering of our treasury or like you know because we have to we have to protect the treasury we have to check we have to protect the brand and the ip we have to protect the people who are within the organization and so this progressive decentralization is it's a conservative approach to doing it and it's also an iterative and an experimental process that allows you to figure out what specifically um along like the path of of you know the dow trajectory um what specifically is right for you and your community because it is an individual use case situation every single organization is going to be different whether you're an investment dow or you're um you know or, or you're a dow much like rug radio um, so it's, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's case by case. And that's something too, whenever you talk about aligned philosophies that whenever you are getting into collaborative relationships, that that has to be paramount where you have aligned philosophies and, and you're trying to share the same vision and move forward together. Something that I wanted to shift gears a little bit, you started, so similar to what you did when you were eight years old to go from the ground up, you're also a creator as well within the ecosystem and you have Kaios theory. So you're, you're coming into the, the grind with us. I'm certain that there's some story behind what Kaios theory is. Can you like just drop some knowledge on us about what that actually is? Uh, Cause I enjoyed episode one, but I'm, I'm not sure what the, uh, what the rest of it is. Yeah, so this this is actually really funny. Um, you know, you look at it like that Greek spelling Kaios. G, this is a, this is a, a a URL that G Man has owned for a long time, and it actually he bought that one um, because he really he originally wanted chaos and couldn't get the spelling, and so we're gonna like we're gonna break off of it and just call it Chaos Theory. Got it. Um, and the actual proper, which is funny because one of my 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 early um, my. Uh, my early holding company, um, you know, years ago, uh, ago was, um, uh, was, was a, was a, you know, a Greek, uh, you know, spelt word and stuff as well. And like, and, and, um, but that one was intentionally Greek. This is just a play on chaos theory. So what we're doing with the show, um, chaos theory is, uh, you know, rug radio, um, has multiple tiers of creators. And as you go through these tiers of creators, you go from hobbyist to professional, you know, and then having a monetized show and, and, you know, all the steps from syndication and um, production, all that that go through the process of growth to go from a hobbyist to a professional, uh, we try to facilitate and provide different resources for our rug radio. Well, myself, having not been a creator and having been like, quite frankly, like very introverted um, and just not like, I'm not a, like a public facing limelight type of person at all. I realized that for to understand the product and what we we're building better, I had to participate in it. And so... 
um, you know, myself and then G-Man as our CTO coming in and saying, okay, from a product side, from a process side and a team, you know, resource management side, let's start at the start at tier one. Let's come in as hobbyists who have no idea what they're doing. Let's create a show and let's talk about something that's important to us. And much like you, the things that are important to us are helping people find success in life, helping them elevate themselves um, and, and, and doing it through what we call cheat codes. So we've been fortunate enough, the both of us to have some experiences in life that's kind of given us um, a little bit of like a little bit of a supercharge. Um, you know, we, I, you know, I've had a few uh, liquidity events and, and exits, um, you know, businesses that I built and then others that I funded. And, um, you know, we really got um, lucky to be able to experiment and iterate and find out what works and doesn't. Unfortunately, for most people, they end up in this position in life where they they're, they're constrained to a specific box or path um, because they're simply trying to survive. Right. And then as you find success, you end up again constrained by the golden handcuffs. You know, you're you, you're making more money than than, you know, you might elsewhere or that you could if you broke off and tried to pursue fulfillment and you have the mortgage and you have the family and it's like i might hate what i do uh but it pays the bills right and then and then but again you still feel stuck what we really wanted to do was start to open up these conversations about how to progress through maslow's hierarchy of needs all the way to the point of self-actualization and getting to the point where you know you are fulfilled primarily because we come from, as Web3 people, we come from this philosophy of sovereignty, um, you know, and, and, and really um, autonomy and sovereignty. But, but ultimately, like this idea of ownership, not just of like assets, but of your time, right? And of like your life and really, truly taking responsibility and ownership of what you want and what you, what, you know, what you hope to, to achieve and accomplish in life. And we're at this point with, you know, um, technology, you know, technology being as deflationary as it is, um, where really humans have like, uh, we have this crazy ability right now, if we want to, to be able to pursue self-actualization, because it's never been easier to accomplish the daily tasks of life. We have things, and just like even as of, of late chat GPT, where before I was writing briefs that might've taken three hours of my time, I can have ChatGPT kick something out for me in 60 seconds. And then, you know, we go in and we just do some changing. But all of that filler bullshit, sorry, I don't know if like this is no, um, all, <laughs> <laughs> all, all of that filler um, is just um, like it, it. It's no longer such a, a time drain on us, right? Like you can you can accomplish all these things. I don't have to go to the grocery store if I want to. I can order my groceries on Amazon. Well, and that right? leaves you that leaves you a bunch of time to do the self-actualization yeah. and, and reflection and downloading the data. That's something that we've talked about a ton on this podcast is we have so much stimuli coming in that if you continue to douse yourself in that stimuli, then you have no time to actually download it and process it and, and put it into action. Um, and with a lot of these advents in technology, it's assuming that you have access to them. Um, and that goes through that Maslow of hierarchy is like, you got to make sure that I'm, I'm food, shelter and clothed before I can even think about learning something new. Um, and that's something that we also focus on here is just like that coming from the dirt aspect is how, how do you feel about how does, how do you give back, I guess, in that respect, because you, you have been able to um, have some exits and be able to, 
have that freedom of of uh, of time like are you doing anything actively to give back um as opposed to just like obviously you're giving back because of your education in the in the twitter spaces and things like that but just actively how do you give back to assist people in their um food shelter clothing yeah you know um, on a very rudimentary level we really do believe like in in contributing financially to to charities but that's like that that that's that is again like the rudimentary level. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I, um, you know, we we participate in, um, in in some charitable organizations. What I find more fulfilling is um, the giving of individual time, um, not just to. It, it's easy it's easy to go and and be you know a generalist about it. Um, it's a lot more impactful if you find someone who truly is on the precipice of growth, but can't seem to break out for themselves and, and taking the time and energy um, to be able to mentor and help elevate someone so that they can get to a point where they can help elevate someone else. We're at the end of the day, we're just individuals, right? And mm-hmm. and it's sometimes we delude ourselves into thinking that we can impact the whole world. Um, I find that it's better uh, instead of trying to change the the world, um, you know, every from from the top down and and everybody at the same time, to try to just change one life, right, and and empower someone else to change another life. That is life. changing then, the world. That is that know? is that to me is changing the world. I, yeah. I and I've said that about what really lit a fire for me in Web three specifically is the concept of community that Web3 brought to business that I think his people have been craving for so long. And the fact that that concept of community in this construct has IRL in real life, practical impacts on the communities we live in. If we just take what we do in these, these micro communities that are on the internet, Discord, Twitter spaces, and start to live those things in, in our own in real life neighborhoods, the impact that that can have, mindfulness, mental health awareness, uh, making sure we're not fudding on people, giving of our time, energy, um, being kind, all of those things. If we could just take all of that and deploy Web3 out into the real world, the, the impact that it has, yeah. I, I think that's that's how we change the world. So taking the time to influence one person's life yeah. in such a positive way, I believe quite quite frankly is world changing. So don't undersell that. I think you're changing well, the world. So this like you said something here, and like this is super tangential, but like um, I have this I have this like this this thing that I've been working on, and this is like um, this is my rough draft of it. Um, you know, we look at fiat and we look at crypto. And if you look at if you look at fiat, this is this, like, again, like, feel free to like clip this. But this is just <laughs> something that I've been I, like the past few days. I've been thinking a lot about this. And this stems from a conversation I had last October, um, uh, um, actually with uh, with Mel and John Knopf. Um, But the word fiat in Latin means let it be done. Um, and, and the historical like there was a there's a historical um uh, you know, historical allusion to to where that came from. I guess in in biblical um, in, in you know biblical you know uh, whether uh, history or or you know biblical mythology, whatever. Mary said to the angel Gabriel um, when you know when the conversation about her being the 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 mother of of Jesus, um, she said, "Let it be done." Fiat. Well, the we call currency fiat currency 
um, because uh, it is currency as issued, um, you know, like on our bill, we, you know, we're, you know, in God we trust. Um, that's literally why we, why we've called it that is because it is empowered or endowed by, by God, right? That's this crazy, like ego of our governments. When you look at crypto, the, so the, if the ethos of fiat is, oh, well, God said it, so let it be done. The, the, um, the, the ethos of crypto and the blockchain technology and web three, um, it's instead of having been done by God, it's done by us, by the community, right? And if you if you break that down into its very core, like the you know the the very core principles of it, crypto doesn't exist without individual validators on this entire thing of blockchain, right? It's like it's literally valuable because of the consensus of millions of individuals validate validating that you know that 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 the on chain inputs are in fact correct and accurate, right? So I think down to our core as a community within the Web3 space, um, you know, we're not we're not relying on a greater power other than us collectively. And so, you know, we have this ethos that's that's, you know, innate to our entire currency and the way that we're operating. And I think we would be morally remiss if we didn't if we didn't extend that out into our actions and the way we interacted with each other outside of just the timeline. And so that's really, you know, that, that, that's the whole, that's the whole, um, you know, the idea. And if you look at rug radio, it's the, it's, it's the whole idea of rug radio. It's, um, you know, one of the ways that, that I'm trying to help and empower and uplift others is, um, by coming in and doing this job where we're trying to create a movement, change the paradigm, get, empower people to create and own their own narrative. Um, and, and to truly like pursue that self-actualization and, and that fulfillment by pursuing what they're truly passionate about, which is creating these conversations, right? And in creating content, educating others. Yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And that's the biggest piece of it too, is the education of it um, at the different stages of, if, of this life cycle of crypto and adoption, uh, because how we talk about the technology is not how we're going to talk to those who are going to use it in the day to day. Like there, those are different conversations. I'm sure that you're having this as well as like each stage of this evolution of crypto and its adoption requires a different type of conversation. Um, I'm curious if you noticed that cause we both were at NFT NYC this past week. And I'm curious if those conversations that you had maybe last year are the same as you're having this year or are they evolving to be a little bit different uh, in terms of, is it all about the tech or is it all about the application or is it a mix of both? Like what, what was your sentiment coming back from NFT NYC? I think, you know, and I'm biased um, because of the way that I think and the way, you know, I'm, I'm, I have an operational bias, but I think um, what I took largely is that um, it's all about the execution and, you know, it's, there's so many different use cases from a technical to social use cases for crypto and for the art and everything going going in. Um, my key takeaways are one, creators of culture always win. If we're talking about mass adoption, we're talking about about you know public acceptance, those who create culture win. That's the artists. that's you know that's that's the media creators like you guys. Um, and, and then those who back those horses and empower them and help them execute to deliver that, uh, you know, we ride, we ride on your coattails, right. Um, is truly the way that it goes. That's really, that's really the, um, you know, the vibe that I got, we're coming in this, like, you know, 
I'm not going to call it a bear market, but I will call it um, a, a, a retracement, right? We're, we're, we're in this retrace now, and a lot of the froth is just disappearing. You had people who were doing ICOs and who were launching, um, you know, NFTs to pull some capital to try to do something. Um, but they were a lot of times very um, ethereal, you know, just like they, they, they were very, they were very uh, um, hopium uh, based ideas. Right. Um, and, and now it's like, if you can't execute and, and that's going comes down to just like basic, like operational revenue. If you can't just make a dollar, right. Like you're in trouble. Yeah. You're in big trouble if you can't make a dollar, uh, cause you can't, just as you, a lean startup, you can't be a lean startup forever. You need some assistance on the way out or on the way up rather. Um, yep. You know, something that I took away from NFT MIC was it was more about, just as you said, it's about the execution, but it seemed like more people did not care too much about how it actually worked. They just wanted to know that it worked. Um, and that to me is an evolving conversation from what it was last year. Because last year was very much like, how do we create a hackathon around this whole thing? Because that's that's where everybody was. They wanted to know how it worked, and it seemed like the the um, the attendees wanted to know how things worked. And this year, it was more about, okay, we understand it works. How do we implement it? How do we execute? The people, the people who are going to make it work, largely already understand how it works. The people that are going to use it don't care about how it works. Exactly. So I even said, I even said to, uh, to, to burn dogler in a tweet the other day that I want to believe that a lot of my friends and family are going to look back and say, Oh, it was so obvious. But the reality is that if we do our jobs, well, they'll never know. They'll never know. They'll never know that it happened. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I looked to like, I looked to Polygon and specifically Starbucks in their, in their rewards use case, the people who are going to be using these, these Starbucks rewards, um, aren't going to have any idea that they're on chain. They don't know that it's a, that it's a crypto instrument. And, and in a lot of ways, that's the way it's going to be. It's just like kids. My eight-year-old, he loves music. Um, and he has, uh, you know, he's got his, his, his little iPod. Uh, we got him an old school iPod. And he doesn't need to know, nor would he care about the technical aspects of the MP3 format, right? We don't talk when we say, when we say music, you know, we're not talking about someone doesn't come in and say, yeah, I'm an MP3 artist. So why would you say I'm an NFT artist, right? We when we when we talk about music, we don't talk about MP3s. When we talk about art, we talk about reward systems, or we talk about, um, you know, we talk about memberships. We talk about, uh, you know, decentralized media. Does NFT or ERC twenty, ERC seven twenty one, like, does any of that matter? Unless you're the ones that are that are implementing and executing the the technicals behind the scenes. No, ultimately it doesn't matter. It's just can the end user. Um, you know, can they glean the benefit of the technology? Can they live a life that's now cleaner, simpler, more streamlined, deflationary because of it? And that's the conversation that the technical conversations are happening, I think, B2B on the teams that are implementing and collaborating to make the systems work. But as far as like the marketing side of it and actually getting people to use the technology, I don't, to your point, so long as it works and it and aligns with me socially, economically, I think that's really where it's at. And I, I was asking the question too to some like tax professionals uh, and bookkeeping professionals about how that's going to work. 
um, just from a custodial standpoint. And it's really uh, up in the air at the moment. And I think once we figure out, once we can figure out as a community what that's going to look like, like who owns the the asset itself and what's its benefit and how do we treat different genres of NFTs and blockchain technologies. Let's hope that the regulators begin to see the fact that they're not all the same <laughs> exact thing and start treating them differently too. And worried about Wi-Fi stealing your passwords yes. and stuff. How does Wi-Fi work? <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different conversation. But no, to... to I think both of your points is as long as it as long as it works and as long as we don't cause any disruption and friction in their day to day lives and it actually solves a problem and makes things easier um, for for those using it. I think that's when we see like this. uh, I'm in this I'm on a book right now. It's called Crossing the Chasm. Have you ever read it? It's about it's about high tech kind of going from early from technical experts to early adopters and then there's this chasm in between them and uh, adoption if you want to talk about bell curves and it seems like yeah so literally so i'm I, i'm reading i'm sorry to interrupt you i'm reading this book right now called wanting about mimetic desire okay and and literally so when you said that last night when i was like i was getting on the plane and i was about to start this book that was the recommendation crossing the chasm is the recommendation that that came up on my like that came up on my highly highly recommended it was crazy it was um it was written in 1992 and then revamped in 1998 so the version you have is probably 1998 substitute web3 technology for whatever they talk about it's the same it you can literally identify yourself within each stage of it you can identify your friends in each stage of this it's incredible i'll add it to my library let's go have to. I'm telling you, I think I'm I'm giving it to like all of my friends that are in the space that I think could really benefit from it um, because patience is really the key here and execution is the sauce to make it happen and mm-hmm. being intentional about it all. And um, and that's why I wanted to hear about your line philosophy and, and the chaos theory and all of those things, because I think that's what attracts people to you is that authenticity, just like Farouk. He's just authentic. And I think those people are the ones who outlast the ones trying to be um, that have bad intentions. Really, they're just trying to be out here for themselves. They're not really out here to change the world. Uh, They're they're out here to change their pocketbook. And that's really not what this technology is yet. Um, and And I think those that are very, very authentic are the ones who outlast the rest and that's why um, that's why we attached ourselves over to Rug Radio. Full disclosure, you guys all know that as listeners, um, because that's really our ethos is being able to align ourselves with with companies, with individuals who are here for a long haul and wanting to change the world in a really specific manner. So, Loxley, I, you know, you're you're the man. No, if you want, well, yeah, say, go ahead, go ahead. One last thing, just to, to comment on what you just said is. Um, if your core motivation in business, in emerging tech or whatever it is, if your core motivation is is just to make money, you're you're not gonna make it. Boo. You're not. Like, <laughs> and if you do make it, it won't be long lived. No, and that's just it. Anybody who makes it, they always talk. You hear about all of these uh, like biographies. If you read biographies of of entrepreneurs or anybody who's like quote unquote made it, it's a long freaking time. And they had well, to, they yeah, had to like because, endure. Yeah, it's because value is the byproduct of excellence, right? Like, if we create excellence, the value follows, and and it's and it's literally about pursuing 
your passion. And, you know, I was talking to, to Farouk Fiwo and, uh, and OSF the other day about Ikigai on, on, the, on the morning show. Um, and it's, it's truly like find your passion, find your purpose. The good news is that Web3 and blockchain technology is the underlying tech that helps with the deflationary nature of everything, right? It's like it, it's it's advanced database management. It's not scams. It's not it's not easy money. It's not you know it's not digital Doge coins. Um, you know it's um it's it's truly just an underlying tech layer of advanced database management. And it, every industry, there's applications in every single industry. Pursue excellence. Integrate the tech. Be early in the adoption curve. And and ultimately, like the value will accrue where it's due. I think that that's pursuing excellence. That's it. <laughs> that's what it's about. It's about setting standards. It's about setting the standard and being excellent is an incredible standard to yeah. hold, not only for yourself, but for your business, for your associates, for, for your colleagues, for whoever, whatever category we want to, we want to identify. Hell yeah. Loxley, is there anything else you'd like to get across to the listeners today? No. Um, no, that's it. I mean, the one the one last comment that we can put on that excellence thing is it's not about it's not about being better than anyone else either, right? Um, it's 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 not competitive. That's it's right. truly about being excellent, knowing that it's not a zero sum game, and we can all be excellent together, right? And like that's I think that's probably one of the, the the biggest going back to to you know chaos theory in our show. One of the biggest cheat codes is recognizing um, that that you know the rising tide lifts all ships. And so that's, you know, that's it. That's why I appreciate it. And, and you know, I, I love creators like you, um, love what you're doing, helping others, um, you know, and, and again, finding joy in the journey, right? Like you have it right there. Yes, sir. It, it's We're all just all trying about. to be a bunch of gyms out here, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're just trying to be gym. We're trying to do the thing, uh, have successes, achieve excellence. But I do have to disagree with you on one aspect is I'm competitive AF. Um, ah, so, yeah, but it, but you're right. It's not a zero sum game. But you know, Everyone your success. Can win. Yeah, your success doesn't take away from my success. Ah. However, um, I'm super competitive. So the the leaderboard that we have in the creator chat is uh, okay. very. It, so it drives me like a mother. <laughs> right. So um, I I'll, appreciate I'll it. You on that leaderboard, then? Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. It'll be like it'll be like two cars race into the finish line. So, Loxley, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, hey guys, as always, enjoy the journey. Take care, everybody. Thank you for staying here until the very end. If you would do us a favor and leave a comment or a review wherever you downloaded or streamed this podcast from, that goes a long way to help us spread the word about growth mindset. If you're a Web3 native or looking to get started, you can catch us over at Twitter on Tuesday nights where we host the Twitter Spaces at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard. There are unique surprises for those of you who attend those shows in addition to our podcast here. It's a Rug Radio production. Until next time, enjoy the journey.